This is the River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome. Before they ever get out in the water, in the kayak, they go swimming. And we teach them how to interact with their water environment. So we get in the water, we teach them how to wade, we teach them how to assist one another, we teach them how to swim, we talk about river hydrology, eddy lines, upstream, downstream, so that they're already starting to be able to interpret and understand their environment a little bit more. Today's episode comes to you from an eddy in a mountain river of North Carolina and a family raft on a desert river of the Colorado Plateau. This is part of a three-episode cluster with an overall theme of how to run rivers. The specific focus of this episode is about how to get kids on the river. The other two episodes focused on swift water rescue and food packing for the river. All of the episodes of this cluster are available right now, and it does not matter in which order you listen to this cluster. Today, we have two experts that will share their insights about getting kids on the river, Lindsay DeFratis and Lydia Wing. Lydia Wing runs rivers in the southeast United States and is based out of North Carolina on the Green River. She and her husband founded and operate H2O Dreams, a kayak instructional school serving kids and adults. She will explain what kayak instruction offers and how she supports students in their learning of this river navigation skill. Lindsay DeFratis is a mom of three young kids, worked as a commercial river guide for many years, and with her husband, takes their kids on the rivers of the Colorado Plateau. She has written numerous articles for the NRS Duct Tape Diaries and the Downriver Digest about this topic of getting kids on the river. For each of today's guests, there are links to all of their work in today's episode notes, which can be found in your podcast player for this episode. We start off with Lindsay DeFratis. Well, thanks for doing this. I'm psyched to talk with you, and I'm really, I'm, I really appreciate making this happen. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Would you tell me, tell me who you are? Tell me your name, how you spend your life. Tell me about your your relationship with rivers. All right. Well, my name is Lindsay DeFratis. I guess I've been a resident of the West Slope of Colorado since I was 19, so I won't tell you how long that is. The rivers are always a part of that story. I met my husband actually on our first guiding. Um, training. It was launching at Split Mountain in May, of course, because guide training is always brutal. And there was snow and rain, ice forming on the boats as we're hand pumping them. So we met the rivers kind of when we met each other. So they've been a part of our lives. That's why I reference him as an equal partner in what we do out there. Um, I've gone through a lot of different hats in that time from full dirt bag, outdoor guide with Outward Bound, with summer camps, with dailies here in Glenwood Springs to a semi-respectable eighth grade English teacher, to slightly less respectable uh, curriculum development for trail crews and stuff like that, to upsettingly respectable PR and media specialist with the Colorado River District, which is what I am right now. And then of course, three kids in the, in the mix there. Tell us more about, tell us about the, the work that you've done to, to write all these articles about taking your kids boating. Well, in the resume I just gave, I kind of left out the freelance writing section of my lives. And I have to give the context there because it makes sense why I wrote so many of them. When I had three kids that are under the age of six, uh, childcare became a cost prohibitive thing for me leaving the house for any job. So I had to find something that brought money in without me leaving the house. And freelance writing in the outdoor industry became that answer. So most of those stories were written with the goal of paying an electric bill. (laughs) 
it was just something that came easily and that there was an, there's an audience out there that needs to hear that it's okay to push yourself and, and push your kids outside. And I really enjoyed writing uh, to reach that audience. And there's just a lot of humor and a lot of depth and a lot of layers. Honestly, it was really motivating to get us out of the house because if you've ever had three young children, it's very difficult to leave the house and that helps no one, especially not me. <laughs> So in one of your articles titled The Daily, you start the article by saying this, quote, you know what's easier than taking your kids on the river? Pretty much anything else you can do with them, end quote. Tell me about that quote, the feeling of it, and then also the reality of it. Is that, is that a real, is it a real thing or is that just kind of a, a thing to say? Well, I mean, it does start an article nicely, but there's a lot of truth to it. And my husband and I have very, uh, have had many discussions about the word easy <laughs> in this context. And uh, we just try not to use it. It's, it's not, I mean, easy doesn't, it's not a thing. Yeah, there's easier things you can do with your kids, but that's not why we're there. We're not doing it because it's easy. We're doing it because the investment for our family, the place built memories of our kids. Because the fact that my third grader added to his list of five favorite things, the sound of falling asleep next to a rapid at school this week, I found out that's why we do it. So it is not going to be easy, but honestly, easy changes all the time too, right? The things that you get better at get easier, but there's not easy. There's still a lot of work. The kids that we have now are quote easier than they were when they had diapers and bottles, but they're not easy. So when it say, when I say that you can do anything else with them, that's easier. It's true, but easy should never be the goal. So on the other side of the easy, then what, what has been one of the hardest parts of taking your family boating? <laughs> Leaving the house. It's getting everything in the van, in the boat to get out first. It's, it's breaking the, um, the comfort of, of just sitting around. It just takes so long. There's so many things for a regular rig. When you have your boat all set up and you're going out with other humans who can take care of themselves, you are still doing it hours of packing to get there and just add the three humans who can't do anything for themselves. And it just takes so much. So that's in my mind, that is really the hardest, hardest thing is to get it all in the van, get it rigged and get out the door. And it's honestly, that's the hardest on the relationship as well. I'm going to be honest there. The packing can be very, very stressful if you both try to do the same packing in the same place. So I don't recommend that. Right. You say that in one of the articles and, and I think you mean mm -hmm. like at home in the garage or in the wherever, don't mm -hmm. both of you try and pack the kitchen box together? Never. That <laughs> is a divorce maker right there. Do not pack the kitchen box together. He can do it or I can do it. We cannot both do it. Uh -huh. Good advice. NRS designs and sells just about any piece of river gear you might use on the water. Bill Parks founded NRS in 1972 in northern Idaho. Have you ever met Bill Parks, the founder of NRS? This is Bill Parks. My name is Bill Parks, and in 1972, I founded NRS, then called Northwest River Supplies. And I was a teacher of business, and I was into the outdoors. I was a ski instructor and a, a really avid rafter. And it was so hard to get equipment that I wanted to see if I could do the things that I was teaching. So I started NRS, I put $2,000 in the bank. I was very lucky to begin with because 
it was so hard to get equipment and so I was ahead of all the other people who would think they would want to sell equipment and so NRS was a beginning success. I wanted to create a company that I would want to buy from. In other words, I wanted one that would treat the customer the way I wanted to be treated. And uh, we have had that from the first. NRS encourages you to go directly to your local and regional River Gear shop to find the NRS products you are looking for. Friends of the Yampa works with the Yampa River in Colorado. Each summer, Friends of the Yampa runs river camps for kids from the Yampa Valley. Lindsay Marlowe is the executive director of Friends of the Yampa. Lindsay, where are the kids coming from that come to the Yampa River summer camps? And how does Friends of the Yampa acquire funding for these camps? We try to focus on outreach related to these camps to the Yampa Valley. We also focus on a variety of kids from different backgrounds and experiences. Because of that, we need to understand that these camps may not be affordable to everyone. And so we look for donors to provide funds so that we can provide scholarships. And about 30 to 40 percent of our registration fees are paid in scholarships. And we also do camps that are entirely funded by scholarships. We are working to grow our membership base, and I invite each one of you to become members of Friends of the Yampa. Help us grow these camps, help us reach more kids, and help us make it affordable. Let's keep going with the packing. You have this another article called The Packing Breakdown, Family Rafting 101. You say there's four things to spend your money on, to really take the time and invest in. Tell us, what are the four things and why? So in that article, I said the PFD, the shoes, the shade, and the sand toys. <laughs> In all honesty, I would add rain gear to that now. I should have had that on there. The purpose of rain gear is that it extends your rafting season by a good two months. We have the full body rain suits from Okiwear that we use for the summer. So it's basically like a splash suit for a kid. Uh, they even got the nice little neoprene ankles that strap down. And we put the kids in that and it's like the temperature went up by 30 degrees basically for them. As always, you have to get warm before you get cold. And with kids, that is so important. The rain gear goes on before the rain starts or the moment it starts. Do not wait for the shivering because they won't come back from that with the thermoregulation. So things to look for with good rain gear for kids. Um, the, the hood should have some kind of brim around the outside that sticks over, at least out to their nose. A lot of kids rain gear that's like the plasticky type just sticks to their forehead. And that just isn't very comfortable in the long run. And it doesn't keep their face dry, uh, which drives them crazy, first of all. And then the other things is that you want closing cuffs. So either close fitted elastic, or if you can get one with the neoprene Velcro setup, that's really good. And do not forget the rain pants. They are sitting their legs are going to be frozen and wet and cold. So make sure you do the rain pants if you're getting the rain coat because it doesn't really make sense otherwise. I mean, you could wrap them in a tarp. That's okay, but they move. They like to move. The PFD and the shoes especially are the two things that will be on your children all the time. They will associate every memory they have on the river with those two things. And if you get ones that don't fit well and that chafe on the neck or that cause blisters on the feet, that becomes a powerful memory associated with the whole trip. So those two things are really, really important. 
for that reason. And it does take time and kids do grow, um, but try on the, the PFDs. And if they don't work, you know, if they come up by the chin, there's always this spot right along the chin bone. If you get any rubbing there at all with the kiddos, it will be raw in a few days with sand and water. So got to watch out for that. The shade is super important because if you are out in the heat, those small bodies do not thermoregulate like our big bodies do. And so you have to be ready to mitigate the effects of direct sunlight. So we have, again, not gotten the ideal stuff. I do not own a Bimini. We get a grocery store umbrella for our boat and we rig it with an umbrella stand and icicle hitches on the outside to tie it down for the wind, which I recommend you learning. They're fantastic. They pull tension towards a tapered end if you get them right. An icicle hitch? That's Is that a knot? An icicle hitch, yeah. And when you say a uh, grocery store umbrella, is that what you said? Grocery store umbrella? Yeah. The shade, like the shade umbrellas that they have in the, in the aisle there for the summer theme at city market. Okay. Do you have any other thoughts? Like what are some other things you use for shade that are good on the boat or on the beach, wherever? Giant sun hats for the kids. They never grow out of it. Don't let them tell you that they don't need them anymore. Big wide brims, baseball hats. Don't cut it. Those ears and neck are way too exposed. It's like a little little miniature air conditioner if you get a good one and they're sitting around their head and it just keeps them all out of the sun. So the bigger, the better. I love the Sunday brand hats. And then um, I got lucky and got an NRS wing shade structure for the beach, which has been amazing for several of our desert trips as well. Okay. Garden trial, good sand buckets. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. So much fun can be had when your when your shovel does not snap in half easily. The kids can turn any beach into a restaurant, into an excavation, into a castle, into a mudslide. Um, and I've seen it all and it's worth getting like a good trial to bring with you. Cause then they can just go to town. If you have a digger, I have a digger. He's got to have a good one. You have a kid who's a digger. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that was, I thought that was something you could buy. No, the kids. The no, no, no. My middle child. He, yeah. he is attached to the dirt at all times. Okay. One question on PFDs for kids. Do, mm-hmm. do kid PFDs always are they always that type five that have the like floaty pillow behind their head? Is that, is there ever an option to not do that? Yes. So type fives, I mean, obviously, so here's, it's the same with humans, right? With full grown ones, if they can aggressively self-rescue, and that means rolling over onto their stomach and doing intentional kicking and, and swimming, you don't need to worry about the pillow at all. And if they can't do that, but they can get themselves over onto their stomach, at least, they just have to have some control. If, if they have the pillow, that's going to roll them over right way. So I always use those on the kids that can't swim or on the grownups that can't swim. You, you need that because that corrects your body in the water. It can limit your mobility, right? But it's, it's really important for that safety measure. There's quite a few small size PFDs though that do not have them. I would just recommend sticking with the crotch strap ones until you can really cinch down the waist because most of the time people put kids PFDs on Man, kids are skinny. Even when they're not skinny, they're just little. And the, the tightness is always wrong. So get the ones with the crotch strap until you're really, really comfortable. That's a good fit. So you have an article called Family Rafting 101, The First Float. Lots of really good topics to consider. But uh, number four is you say start young. So uh, when do you get the kids on the water? What's How, how young is young? <laughs> how young were your Uh, kids when they got on the water it varied a little bit the youngest was 10 months 
we did a, this is this, this, I would not recommend. Um, we did a, a four night labyrinth Canyon trip when my youngest was 10 months, my middle was 18 ish months, 20 months. And then my oldest was then almost was five. So that was two kids in diapers and one with a bottle for five nights with the put in camping. Uh, I don't recommend that at all. That was, that was too much for too young. <laughs> so if you, if you want a metric, there it is. Two diapers, one bottle, five nights, too much. Um, but what it's allowed us to do by starting so young is they're very comfortable when we go in the boat now. So I have their, their eight, six, and four now. They just hop in. They know what to do. They know there's PFDs on. They know that they have to keep their shoes on. I still fight them on the sunscreen for some reason, but I don't know if you ever win that battle. Um, so starting them young, it's just for me, it was, and my husband, it was that investment. We're doing more work, but the dividends that we're getting now already, even at a still pretty young age is just incredible. We're actually about to do that same float that I wrote about in that article um, just next week. We're going to launch on Friday. And once we get there, you pull up on the beach and the kids just dive into the sand and they spread out and they soak it in and they start just being fully present. And, and as a parent in a distracted world, starting young means that you have then had those four or five days of complete presence with your children. You weren't drawn away by work. You weren't drawn away by your cell phone. And there's probably easier, quote, easier ways to get that. But somewhere between those kids learning how to take care of themselves and have that sense of autonomy in the outdoors, learning about natural consequences, you, you cannot teach that lesson of, I told you to put your coat on and now you can't feel your fingers. So in that, in that first float, our kids wearing PFDs at 10 months, you said, I mean, they must be wearing a PFD. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, for sure. Little cute yellow Stolquist PFD one. It's just great for the infants. I'm, I'm curious about fun and, and having fun with kids on the river. In my, in my river time, I've had some great friends who've had kids and I've been fortunate enough to go. I've seen these kids go from that like 10 month old to now college kids. And, mm -hmm. and it's been really, it's been really neat to watch. And I've seen the ways that their parents have had fun with them. They're very creative, just, you know, engage with the natural world. But can you, can you offer some ideas to that person who is just struggling to get out of the house and that terrifies mm -hmm. them? And then, oh, I got to make sure I have the PFD and the crotch strap and, oh, the floppy hat. And what are some ideas around just like some simple, super fun things to do with kids out there on the river? Well, to that parent that's overwhelmed, I, I have to be honest, I didn't write about fun in these articles because I was so busy thinking about all the other stuff. <laughs> um, be, honestly, though, fun happens so naturally for children in the outdoors, as long as you don't get in the way. So do not get in your head, if you are a parent considering this and feeling overwhelmed, do not get in your head about having these clever structured activities and arts and crafts and, oh, we're going to play all these fun beach games that I liked when I was in college. Maybe so. Great. If they love ladder ball, do ladder ball. That's so fun. You know, those, those are good to have, but you don't, you need to provide less structure than you think. Sit down on the sand next to them with the digging toys that you invested in. Go nuts. Take the lead from them. They'll be digging a hole. They'll tell you what's in there. Just keep looking for it. They'll be making shapes in the sand. They'll tell you what it is. Go with that. Stand on the water and throw rocks in there. I mean, it's just, there's so many things for kids to do outside. Don't overthink it. 
bring a friend. I would say if they're a child by themselves, it is a lot easier to have other kids their own age. You'll find that your weight of entertainment and needs is much lowered if you're on trips with other kids. So um, the potty, <laughs> is there a better title? I don't know if that really matters, but I, you know, one of my first thoughts about all this was relieving yourself as a, as a small human would be hard, except that it's probably not. You just pee. You just pee. And if you get it on yourself, you just get in the water and clean it off the groover. It's like, you know, I think don't touch it. Don't fall in. When? Uh, don't worry. I've thought about it too. It's, I think that it's mostly too small for them once they're sitting. Because keep in mind, they're in diapers, you know, for a while. So for, for the really, really teeny tinies, it's not really a thing. And honestly, you bring the pull-ups on the kid who just got potty trained last month. So just wear those all the time. Um, I think the biggest trouble with the Groover is that it's far away and kids do not always take time to listen to their bodies to get those early cues. So by the time it's happening, it's happening. I wish that I had kept just the smallest, simplest sit on top travel potty with me all the time. We started doing it later. We should have had it the whole time. Because then whatever is going to come out, number one or number two, you have the little plastic potty there to deal with it. And the kid doesn't have to worry about balancing on the big, giant, tippy groover that smells bad. And so these little ones who are, they're still very, I mean, their animal brains are still so strong in, their, in the way that they function, right? If they perceive a threat of an, a strange environment or an unstable environment, it's hard for them to relax. So number two, can really get blocked up if they can't be comfortable sitting on a little potty. So bring the plastic potty, put it down in the middle of the play area. That's going to help a lot with that. And then, yeah, number one's just in the river or rinse off. And your problem will be convincing them not to do it everywhere after you get off the river. Fun pro tip for diapers. Um, people, the smell is pretty brutal by the end of a five-day river trip. Um, my best cheap advice, there's more expensive things you can do, but the cheapest is to go to a, a hunting store and get the scent seal bags that hunters use for their clothes. So I use those on the river for diapers. Um, so after there's been anything compromising in them and everything's cleaned up, I'll, I'll put them in a trash bag probably, but then that trash bag, if it's small, will go inside the scent seal bag. And then I'll fill each up fill each one up and then deal with them separately. How, how does a, how does a family, how do parents prepare for not having the groover open? I mean, it seems like that's where you're going to put poop. So like, if there is a day poop, if a kid poops and it has to be on the ground, you're going to scoop it up, put it in a bag or something. I don't know what you're going to do. Are you taking wag bags? What's your method keep, for? You keep the potty out. Do not bury the little plastic potty. That's why you can look at the pictures. It's strapped on the top of the pile. So that has There's a reason for that. That keeps poop and pee in it all day. No, then you transfer it into the wag bag after. Okay. So you, the event takes place in a comfortable potty position. And then you as a parent are charged with using the wag bag setup to clean it and get it stored properly for the rest of the day. I love how obvious it is that one of us has kids and one of us doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, none of this was obvious to me when I started. And I want to encourage people listening. You don't have to know the answer to every possible scenario. You'll figure it out. Mom style, mom guide style. What are you keeping in your uh, yes. PFD? Um, about 12 empty granola bar wrappers. It micro trash. It's just, you're just grabbing it from them all the time. And it always goes in there. So by the end of the trip, I have to just do the big scoop and dump out all the wrappers and everything. But the stuff that I intentionally put in there, um, I always have an Allen key on a little, little cord. Keep that in there all the time. It's come in handy a million times. That's the guide part of me for sure. Um, I always have chapstick, fresh chapstick because it melts out each trip. 
So restock. The kids really need it. It's super important to get a good kind. Test it out. Anything that you're going to use on your kid's skin for river trip, test it out multiple days beforehand. Always have extra sunscreen in there. But yeah, mostly it's just trash. All right. Well, that's the end of my questions. And um, yeah, right on. Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. This is awesome information. Well, good. Sounds great. Have a good night. See you, Lindsay. Bye. Take care. Bye. As I was crafting this episode, I frequently reflected on my numerous friends who have raised their kids on the river. And so I asked two of them for their input. Tell me your name. Chris Newt. How many kids do you have? Two. How old are they now? 22 and 19. Our son's first river trip was when he was eight months old on Ruby Horse Thief, and our daughter's first river trip was six months old on the Rio Grande on the Texas-Mexico border. And today, at, at these ages, 19, 22, do they still like rivers? They do, and uh, by the time we went empty nest and they left the house, they each had hundreds of nights of backcountry river trips. They loved it. What are, what are two key pieces that you feel like brought you to success with your kids being on the river? Uh, let them be themselves. Let them get dirty. Another thing, I've seen it more recent years, leave the technology at home. That was the great thing about river trips for our family is that we could get into the backcountry um, without the vehicle, without the technology, and just let them be themselves and get dirty. Hi, my name is uh, Clay Talmadge. I've got three kids. They're 19, 16, and 12. And uh, yeah, my kids have grown up on the river. It's been a big part of our life and a great way to get them out and into the wilderness. What are a couple of little tricks or some savvy parental advice you would offer to the, uh, to the new family trying to get their kids on the river? Definitely lots of snacks and water or, uh, you know, sweet drinks, Gatorades, iced tea, whatever. Keep everybody hydrated and make sure it's not in the dry box under you or else you're going to be standing up every 38 seconds to get into the dry box. So, yeah, that's for sure. And, you know, just making sure you don't put yourself uh, in a situation where you're trying to go too far or too much in one day. Talk about fun, like incorporating easy fun, like a, a few ideas on some easy fun to keep your kids totally happy and, and driving out with the river. Uh, definitely like bucket of rocks, just looking at the river, talking about it. Um, water guns are always fun. If you're, if you're on a river, that's warm enough for that. Letting them get up there and row with you, letting them, getting them, splashing them a little bit, making sure you're keeping it lively, bringing a book or something to play with. If it's a quiet stretch and you need to chill out. The founder of NRS, Bill Parks, has made a practice of taking most new employees out to lunch to get to know them and to help share the story of NRS with these new members. My name is Bill Parks, and in 1972, I founded NRS, then called Northwest River Supplies. My name is Christine Redman. I have been an employee owner of NRS since 2012. I often tell stories about the early days of NRS, and I do that because I think it helps an employee to connect with the history and the philosophy of NRS. I've tried to do that for maybe 30 years or more, and I generally take three because that's how many fit in a booth. 
I feel like I really gained an insight into what the company was, what it stood for, and what the possibilities were. We really catered to the customer and how can we make their experience either with us or on the water better. And it was a really special occasion to be able to go out and sit at the Super China Buffet <laughs> and be able to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Bill Parks. In addition to NRS.com, you can find NRS gear at many of your local and regional river gear shops. NRS encourages you to support your local river gear supplier. The Yampa River summer camps for kids happen in June and July and serve about 50 kids overall. Lindsay Marlowe is the executive director of Friends of the Yampa. Lindsay, can you explain more about how many camps are offered and what the kids are doing at the summer river camps? The camps are three days long, Tuesday through Thursday, and we have about 10 to 12 kids per camp. We try to do at least four camps. This all depends on the flows because the Yampa is wild. These camps focus on kids entering the seventh through the ninth grades, and we first try to address safety in the water and how to read rivers, how to be in it, and how to be on it. And then we next focus on watershed science, how to understand the river and its ecosystem. And then we also just focus on having fun and, and having a positive experience related to the river. We're working to grow our membership base and I invite each and every one of you to join Friends of the Yampa. Help us make an impact through these youth river camps to the kids in this valley and outside of it. Help us make it affordable. Just before those ads from NRS and Friends of the Yampa, we heard from two river dads. The second one was Clay, who is one of my best river friends and I've been able to float many river miles with he and his family, watching his kids go from diapers to now middle school, high school, and even one in college. I sat at their kitchen table to grab two short interviews with his kids. Here is the first. We'll start with you. Will you tell me, tell me your name and how old you are? I'm Kayla and I am 15. And uh, Kayla... Do you know how old you were when you first started getting on the river? Um, I have been getting on the river since I was in the womb. So I can't remember like the exact date, but like always, like probably from a little tiny baby until now. Are you glad you that your parents got you on the river at such a young age? Uh, I'm incredibly glad that it happened and that I've had that experience from such a young age because we're such like we're so close to all these rivers and such amazing experiences and I get to have that and like it's it's part of my childhood and something I'll always be able to reflect on and it's it's crazy around here too because not everybody has that. So do you have any thoughts on like a few things that you remember that your parents were doing to make to make river life easy and fun for you, I guess, kind of when you really started to remember being on the river? Well, oftentimes, like with each river we went to, there'd be like something about it that like our parents would really, like the petroglyphs in some rivers or like uh, when we were going to the salmon, the saltwater taffy, you know, and having those like those treats and those like special different pieces about the river that make it even more exciting, you know? Do you remember things like, did your parents teach you to swim early in the river? Like, do you, do you remember that? Like getting in the river and swimming as a kid, just to kind of learn how to be in the river? Oh yeah. There was definitely times and like we'd practice 
making sure our life jackets were on right and making sure you know feet downstream and like always like reminding ourselves and like lean into the boat you know just those things all right anything else you want to tell me about getting on the river as a kid or like any advice you might have for other parents who are thinking about getting their kids out um i'd say do it you know it's it can be it can seem like a big deal but those are things that i reflect on and like think about all the time and they're memories that I am so grateful to have like those things. I will have those as part of my childhood and growing up and doing outdoor things and being that kind of person, which I'm grateful for. Up next is Lydia Wing, founder of H2O Dreams. Lydia provides instruction to kids and adults as they learn to kayak on the rivers of North Carolina. Here is Lydia Wing. All right. Well, let's start off with, can you tell me about yourself? Tell me your name. Tell me about your life and tell me about your relationship with Rivers. My given name is Lydia Wing. I am co-owner and co-founder of H2O Dreams Paddling School based out of Saluda, North Carolina, on the banks of the famous and fabled Green River. And my relationship to Rivers is dynamic, but I would have to ultimately say that everything that I have now, I have because of the river and either an adjacent association with water and the river um, or a direct relationship with it. I I think I've said it, but I'll say it again. This episode is is one of three that are all looking at how people get on the river. And Mm -hmm. I spoke two days ago with uh, Lindsay DeFratis, who's also a member of Duct Tape Diaries, about how to get kids on the river from her perspective as a mom of three. And so I want to hear from you about this other idea of getting kids on the water through kayak school. To start that off, would you explain where you live geographically and the rivers, the nature, the character of the rivers in the southeast and why teaching kids to kayak is the way things are done there where you live? Sure. The southeast is pretty unique, Um, especially where we are geographically. We are fairly dense with watersheds and accessible water, anything from flat water and, you know, calm class one to, you know, as high up uh, that whitewater food chain as you want to go. And there is so much accessibility, you know, lots of roadside runs, you know, American whitewater access points. And in conjunction with that, Um, you know, we're kind of in the middle of lots of large metro centers. So where we are just south of Asheville, we are kind of in the epicenter of anyone within that larger radius who is a little curious about whitewater, um, has it at their fingertips. Um, We have lots of dam released runs. So that keeps access, you know, almost year round um, for folks. So we have a lot of advantages, um, both from you know, a practical facilitation standpoint, but also from just a basic beginner access. Um, there's there's opportunity for every kind of river adventure for folks. What was the second part of your question? Why kayak school is the way things are done? Yeah, because because conversely, where I live, you just take your kids on your raft. You yeah. go along overnight flatwater trips, maybe little riffles, but geographically it's different. So then, yeah, why is it that done that way? Yeah. Though? I feel that there is probably a perspective to be had, which is a result of our accessibility um, and the legacy of paddling in the Southeast where, you know, we have 
such a history of kayak design and industry and, you know, industry players and slalom paddling and competition that I would imagine a reasonable response would be that instruction and, and professional level um, introduction into paddling sports and performance coaching is, is adjacent to all of those things. So you, you are co-founder of H2O Dreams, which is a kayak instruction school, and, and I think it's a few other things, but tell me about what H2O Dreams is and talk about the kayak instruction program that you all have. Sure, absolutely. H2O Dreams was born out of a passion and a need for accessible instruction and education. Um, we have never really wandered into the guiding or day trip livery service kind of experience. And, you know, the, it began from YouTube videos and, you know, Chris had this harebrained idea back in 2012, started as a blog. And that was during a time when instruction was still happening on DVDs and people were still buying instructional DVDs. Um, and Chris had this idea that YouTube might be a thing someday. And so why not make high quality instructional videos um, and put them out there for folks. And that kind of helped bolster a reputation of knowledge and competency that led to folks wanting to come to us um, and get to work with us firsthand. Um, and so our, our instruction approach has always been student-centric, um, led and driven by the student experience. And we have always tried to meet students where they're at um, while supporting their goals and objectives with substantiated instruction, things that we're not just doing it because it's how we've always done it or because it's how, how it's always been taught, um, but that we can go back and actually find science and physics and, and substantiated uh, claims for why we want to, you know, facilitate an experience for a student in a particular way. And what, uh, what age group are you working with? We work with all ages. Initially, our primary demographic was adults, um, and a very particular demographic was tended to be middle-aged folks um, who, you know, were working conventional jobs um, and were motivated for progress in a sport and an activity that is difficult and sometimes has a difficult learning curve and wanted to accelerate that learning curve. Over the years, we have been really passionate about Chris has a, fr a freestyle background. Um, and so, you know, that idea of fun and play has always, always wanted to pull in working with kids. And it has taken a little bit of work and uh, a long time to build um, a strong youth program. Um, but now we definitely, I would say we are working with as many kids, as, as many young folks as we are uh, adult folks. What's the, what's the youngest that you'll work with? So our communicated um, age cutoff for our, our entry-level kids programs is eight, um, but we will take kids who are younger um, on a case-by-case -case basis, um, and it's really more so about maturity and ability to connect with peers, take direction um, in a more complex environment. So it's, it's a little bit less about age um, and more about their ability to connect with their surroundings, their peers, uh, and folks that may be offering them directions. I'd say six is probably the youngest that I personally have worked with. So in these in these programs, and I want to speak specifically to the kid programs, in your in your kid programming, what are you teaching these kids? So all of our programs are curriculum based. 
So we do have a written curriculum that is associated with all of our programs. So when we train staff um, or communicate with parents and parents are like, hey, what is my kid gonna be doing at summer camp for eight hours a day, five days in a row? We have information that we can hand off to them. It's important for us to have curriculum, especially for kids programs, because we do want there to be some focus and we, we want this to be an, an educational experience and not just babysitting. We want the kids to be able to learn and have an enrichment experience and not just, you know, oh, well, this is where I go while my, my parent is at work. So kind of a, a quick overview of progression is starting kids out with water comfort. Um, when they show up for the, their first day of summer camp, they do get outfit and equipment. They do sit in a kayak for the first time. Um, but before they ever get out in the water, in the kayak, they go swimming. And we teach them how to interact with their water environment in a safe, relatively safe, you know, safe being an interesting and sometimes loaded word in the adventure world, um, but in a safe and effective way. Um, so we get in the water, we teach them how to wade, we teach them how to assist one another, we teach them how to swim, we talk about river hydrology, eddy lines, upstream, downstream, so that they're already starting to be able to interpret and understand their environment a little bit more. Things are pretty simple in kids' programs. Um, you know, we teach them, obviously, very, very prerequisite skills, how to get out of their kayak. Um, we start kids out without spray skirts first. Spray skirt is always an elective uh, adventure for any of our students, really, adult or, or kiddo. Um, but kiddos especially, um, we teach them how to get out of the kayak without a spray skirt first and assess their underwater comfort and their interest in adding complexity and challenge to the experience as it pertains to using a spray skirt. Um, and then after that, holding the paddle, keeping things fun, um, showing them that they have control over themselves, teaching them how to control spin. You teach a kid how to control spin, you teach a paddler how to control spin, they can do anything on the river, they can go anywhere. Um, so I would say that's really probably the three foundational components to our kids programs, which is comfort out of the boat, understanding of the river environment, comfort and control upside down coming out of the boat and self-rescue, and then concepts of spin. And to be clear, when you said you do these things, this uh, kind of comfort level assessment mm -hmm. skill set, uh, when the kids first come, that you're getting them in the water to swim, is that in a pool or is that in the river? It's in the river. Our river that we operate on is dam released. So it actually works out great for our kids programs in the summertime. Usually when we're getting on the water with the kids, the river is off. So we have light current, but still deep pools where it's, it's very introductory. It's a very beginner friendly environment. And then by the time we're starting to work through some of these swimming and water comfort assessment modules, the river has turned on. And the kids, you know, then we get to talk about, you know, hydrology and watersheds a little bit and explain like, wow, the river looks different. What's going on here? Um, and so it's kind of this, it ends up being this graduated introduction to whitewater and the whitewater environment for them in a, in a pretty organic way. Are you saying the river turns on and off in a, each day? Yes. <laughs> wow. Is that because of power production? Yes and no. Our relationship in our area with our dam operator, um, we do have a recreational agreement. 
so they do release to support recreational access in the summer on a predetermined schedule. So all that said, I want to know more about how you teach. I've got a couple of things. I did some research on who you are as a teacher and I found this video and I found this article that talks about you. And so I want to play a portion of this video and let you then answer a couple of questions about it. I'm going to preface this video for those folks who are listening to this podcast. This is not your typical kayaking video. This is a really sweet video. You can go to H2O Dreams YouTube channel and find this. It's called River People or We Are River People. And so this video is... Um, it's beautiful. The water, the river, it's got kids boating and having fun. It's got instructors. They're doing drills, all kinds of cool things. But I'll tell you, the music is like the selling point for me because it's not your typical kayak theme music. So let's, uh, I'm going to play this and then we'll come back and talk about it. And, and, and for those listening, you'll hear some human talking <laughs> and that's Lydia teaching a student. And the student is a, I'm going to say probably 14 or so aged young woman and she is um, paddling into a small surf wave, looks nervous, but also confident and competent all at the same time. Kind of that like just real awesome space in the learning curve. So here we go. So talk about what just happened. So we're, you're, you have this young, this young student who's entering a small surf wave and you're sitting next to her in an eddy and you've obviously got a camera on your head, it looks like, and we can hear you. But there's this, there's this absolute joy that you are expressing in your experience of the student learning something. And I just want to hear about how you teach and what is going on in your time with kids and how you help them become comfortable in this fairly intimidating environment. Absolutely. I think what I can reflect on first and foremost um, in, in thinking about that particular experience and, and also my journey as an instructor is when I first was trained as an instructor and first started teaching other folks and working with other folks, um, I, I feel as though I had a fairly rigid delivery of knowledge um, and, and I had learned how to kayak in a particular way and I had had particular experiences on the river and it was a little difficult for me to get outside of that lane, um, and meet folks where they were. And so that was quite a journey and evolution for me as, as a river professional, which was to start to allow other opportunities and other ways of perceiving and experiencing the river apart from my own personal journey. And once I was able to get there, instruction got a lot easier because I wasn't trying to force people into my box. Um, I was instead meeting them where they were by asking questions. Why are you doing this? What are your goals? What do you want to get out of this? What's really fun for you on the river? Where do you see yourself going with this? Um, and that allowed me so much more freedom and flexibility in my practice and made it so much easier and more gratifying to support folks with what they wanted instead of trying to push what I wanted for them or thought they needed onto them. So to, to round back to your question, which is how am I 
building comfort uh, and arriving at these moments that you just shared um, with kids. And it's it's through asking a lot of questions, um, not what, obviously there's things that we have to do on the river, right? You know, for safety, there's stuff that we got to cover. There's things that we need to be generally proficient with. Um, but apart from that, what is what does your student want to get out of it? What does this kid want to get out of it? Why are they here? Um, and watching them and seeing those moments where you do see that smile start to creep in, or you see them sitting in an eddy and they're curious and they just don't quite have that courage to cross the eddy line just yet, but they are watching their friends. Um, and you can tell that there, there's a part of them that wants to be out there, wants to be having a particular experience. Um, so in this instance with the student, I wanna go out and surf, I'm feeling pretty nervous about it. Um, what's the worst that's gonna happen? Well. It looks a little bit shallow there and I might flip over. Okay, that's great. Do you know how to protect yourself when you flip over in a shallow area? Well, yeah, actually I do. Okay, what happens if you flip over? Well, I'm gonna try and roll. What happens if you're not successful rolling? Well, I can do my wet exit. How do you feel doing a wet exit in white water? Well, I feel pretty good with it. I've done it a lot. Okay, anything else? <laughs> and sometimes we still wind up in an area where there's still some, some hesitation. Um, and, you know, I think that the steps that we take thereafter really depend on the student um, and the demands of, you know, what's on the table for them in terms of possibility. Um, but I think the ultimate takeaway is letting the student, letting the student project onto you what they want and being able to facilitate that for them, as opposed to projecting onto the student what you want for them or what you think they should be doing. So. Again, for the for all of you listening, uh, this video is um, is a lot of things going on. One one I'll say is that in the show notes on on your podcast player, you can scroll down and you can find the link to it. The thing that I think is really cool about the video that I would encourage people to take a look at is that to me, it's a synopsis of teaching kids how to kayak, and it can be for adults too. But kids are so cool, and so it's teaching kids how to kayak. And this video just it shows it. It shows it all. It shows the drills, kids swimming across stiff current, uh, swimming around, kayaking around, kind of buoys, kids going off waterfalls, which was a little bit of a shock, but I, mean, I don't <laughs> want to say like huge waterfalls, but more like kind of, kind of pool drop, um, kind of stepping down waterfalls, which I, which I think are more common in your geography there. Mm -hmm. And it's just a sweet, a sweet way to see what it looks like for kids to learn how to be on a river. Yeah. I encourage people to look at the video. Another question about schools, am I right to think there are numerous kayak schools in in the Southeast? I mean, I, I know of two because I've mm -hmm. been introduced to two recently, are, but are there several? Yeah, there's quite a few instruction outfits in the Southeast. Um, everybody kind of has their own flavor of, you know, what's their bread and butter for their instruction. Um, what I would also be sure to include is the Southeast has a really rich summer camp history. Um, and a lot of our paddling history actually comes from summer camp programs. Um, and many of those summer camps still do have whitewater modules for their students. Um, and sometimes we get some of those students as they've aged out of that programming, or maybe they become staff um, or, you know, come and take advanced programming with us later on. Um, but that's also one of the other main avenues for kids to get involved with paddle sport in the summer. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, let's talk about your PFD. Can you tell me what kind of PFD you have? Yes. I have an NRS Zen Type 5 Rescue PFD. 
I have tried a few different kinds of PFDs over the years. This is the one that works best for me. Do you know how many pounds of flotation it has? I want to say it's 17 and a half. Okay. What's in your BFD? All right. So here we go. We got a clamshell pocket here, which is pretty cool. So inside, this is something that sometimes folks like to see. So I have my rescue knife and my rescue whistle on a little tether. Um, it's honestly just one of those like little, almost like slinky, stretchy looking keychains. Um, and so it's clipped in inside. It's not so strong that I couldn't break it if I needed to break it. Um, but if I'm like doing rope work and I would need to cut a rope, um, I can drop my knife and I won't lose it in the river. Um, so I keep my knife inside um, so that I don't have it getting caught on things or getting it ripped off my vest um, without my say-so. I also keep my pin kit on me. Um, so I do four, three, two, one. So I've got four carabiners, three pulleys, um, two pressic loops and a length of, it's 20 feet um, tubular webbing um, on my person because if my kayak is the kayak that gets pinned and my pin kit is in my kayak, <laughs> That's not helpful. Um, so I keep that equipment on me so that I have it right ready to go. I don't have to be digging through my boat um, to, to help a situation. Mm -hmm. Okay. What else you got in that clamshell? I have a vacuum sealed um, single use CPR mask and pair of nitrile gloves. Got an action strap for my glasses. Um, I got an extra drain plug. I have a pair of earplugs. And I have a little rock that one of my kids gave me. One of my, my camp kids mm -hmm. um, gave me a rock while we were on the river and I put it in my PFT and it lives there now. Um, I have some chapstick. Um, I think that's it for right there. Sometimes I have like snacks, some candy in here. Awesome. Thanks for the, the, thanks for the PFD tour. That's fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Lydia, that's all I got. Thank you, Sam. Well, I'm glad to have you. To wrap up this episode, here is one last Kitchenside interview with my friend Corbin. Earlier, you heard from his sister Kayla and his dad Clay. Uh, will you tell me your name and how old you are? I'm Corbin and I'm 12 years old. Can you tell us about your first memories of being on the river? Um, probably riding on our, one of our tubes on the San Juan. One of the tubes of the cataract or like an inner tube? Uh, like, yeah, Ketterer. Yeah. And <laughs> what do you think about being on the river? Like, do you, do you, do you like being out on the river? Yeah, I like being on the river. Why? Because mm, usually we go with some friends or we get to hang out with your family. And I like water, too. And, and you go camping. You go camping on the river. Yeah. You, do you like that? Yeah, it's fun. Sitting by the fire. Making marshmallows or something like that. <laughs> do you do you do anything with the river? Like when you're out there, do you throw rocks or like get buckets of water and make like sand? Yeah, what do you do with the water? When we're like at a camp spot, me and my brother will like see so you can skip a rock across the river first or something like that. <laughs> uh, when we're on the sand one, me and my sister usually make uh, drip castles or whatever they're called. Quick sand. Yeah, or go get stuck in the quicksand <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the things your parents did that made getting on the river like easy and fun for you well first off probably like bringing i don't know like chocolate or something and then 
Um, when I got old enough, they'd start bringing a kayak, and I like kayaking down the rivers a lot. A River Kid-sized thank you goes out to all of today's guests, in particular Lydia Wing and Lindsay DeFrades. If you would like to read Lindsay's articles and check out Lydia's video and learn more about H2O Dreams, you can find links to all of that in the episode notes. Today's sponsors are NRS and Friends of the Yampa. You can find links to both organizations in the episode notes. There are two more episodes in this cluster, one on swift water rescue and another on food packing for the river. Both are available now in your podcast player and on our website. We will have a single episode soon, and then our second cluster of the year covering salmon restoration in the Snake River Basin and the engaged push to remove the four lower dams on the Snake River will publish in the next couple of months. You can be in touch anytime on social media and email hello at theriverradius.com. On Instagram, we will be launching our second giveaway in the next few weeks. We will post details soon. Thanks so much for joining The River Radius. We have brought our skeleton on several rafting trips. We call her Skeletina. Um, and then where I put this is I actually stuff it in the kangaroo pocket. Oh, that would be epic. People who are over-caffeinated and need to tap their fingers. So you, the event takes place in a comfortable potty position. I haven't really gotten to talk about kayaking a lot lately.